the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity. Important conversations never had. Important conversations never had. Well, there are many of these, but in the last few years, the most important conversations we never had are about COVID and vaccine mandates and what they mean legal considerations, ethical considerations, scientific considerations. We were told to follow the science, but has everyone been following the science? Have universities been following the science when they're asking young, healthy adults, not asking, mandating that they be vaccinated in order to attend college? We've got two guests today who are representing a a roundtable that will be at Dartmouth College. Um, And these are people who have worked really hard to put together an amazing roundtable. Joni McGarry is a medical freedom advocate. She has a kid who is graduating Dartmouth this June. And then Michael Koss, who is a recent uh, graduate of Dartmouth College. They both love the university, didn't love the mandates, and worked really hard to finally get Dartmouth to rescind those mandates. But still, Some of these conversations have never been had, and we know now that some people have been injured by the vaccine mandates. So you will be able to access this roundtable and listen to amazing voices, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Um, some people we've had on this show, including Brooke Jackson, who was a whistleblower in the Pfizer clinical trials, uh, one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. All of these guests at one roundtable discussing, asking questions, And by the way, what's telling about this is that Dartmouth College was invited to participate in this roundtable. Are they sending representatives? We will tell you as we discuss all of this with the creators of this roundtable next. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Well, Joni and Michael, it is great to have you, and I'm proud to help promote this event. It's a really, it it was at one time a very touchy subject to question vaccinations, to question whether or not kids should have to be vaccinated in order to go to school. And I, I know a ton of parents who are sending their kids off to college who were just not ready to say, yeah, I'm going to vaccinate them every three months or whatever. But Joni, let's, let's start with you. I'm still, um, I'm still a traditionalist. So ladies first. Uh, what what brought you into this sort of overarching conversation about vaccines? Um, thank you very much. Um, I was getting my son ready to go back for his winter term uh, junior year at Dartmouth College. 
And um, we were faced with a booster mandate at that time. And that was eight months after Dartmouth had instituted the primary mandate. And I mean, for COVID-19 vaccination. And that just felt like a bridge too far for me. And so I decided I would um, write Dartmouth a letter. I tried to find other like-minded parents. I found that very difficult. So I ended up... um, starting to advocate on a more national level, trying to find like-minded parents for colleges who you know, didn't want these mandates to stay in place. And that was basically the beginning of this work that I've been doing for 15 months. I just felt that those mandates were unnecessary because students were at as, essentially a zero risk of harm from yeah. COVID illness. Um, we knew by then that they, the, the shots didn't provide any community benefit because there was no um, stopping of transmission and infection that was well documented and admitted. And thirdly, um, the adverse event profile of these shots was starting to become very, very clear. So it felt to me like a risk mandate. And in that way, it was and continues to be entirely unethical and wrong. You present the case so well and so succinctly. And I'm wondering, when you were looking for like-minded parents at Dartmouth, was it a difficult job because people didn't want to speak out or because there were very few like-minded parents? Um, I think it was um, more the latter and some of the former at that time. And, and still to this day, but at that time, there was a tremendous amount of fear for anyone to speak out, um, especially students and parents. But many parents at that point were really on board with this because um, colleges had shut down entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know my son was home for a couple of semesters, wasn't allowed back on campus. Everything was Zoom. People were very, very eager to get back to normal. Right. And they found they saw vaccines and boosters as a way to do that. Yeah. So um, I did find some like minded parents. Um, and then we found more across the country. And people were so desperate to have that conversation and to find other people to speak up with and to advocate for their um, student through their I student's think- choice. Absolutely true. And not just on the college level, by the way, on I think on every grade level. Um, Michael, you are uh, a Dartmouth alum and have joined this effort as well. But what specifically drew you into the fray, if you will? Well, it was all the same reasons Joni mentioned. In August of 22, I reached out to the college with some private uh, email exchanges, really just to voice my strong concern over these mandates. The fact that it was still going on, um, I had hoped that, like Joni, I think when she wrote her letter, that they would review the materials and sort of come to a more common sense policy. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't. And, you know, I was, I guess I was fortunate there was some back and forth exchange. I had a little bit of a better understanding of what they were trying to achieve, but it still didn't make logical sense to require these students to opt in to this, uh, these vaccinations, especially with the boosters and, and seeing the negative effects that they could cause. Yeah. Um, and right. so, uh, you know, I continued to, to send them some materials, but, you know, as I've, ultimately I just felt the answer was them dropping the policy. And when I didn't see that happen, and over the course of many months, eventually you saw the CDC downgrade their view of of COVID and, and differentiating between vaccinated and unvaccinated, you know, I felt that was a real opportunity for the school to, to drop it. Then there was some air cover that was provided at the time, but they did, they still didn't do it. And so in December, I guess, end of December, I decided we'd write this open letter and, you know, make it more public to the Dartmouth community and voice a lot of the 
issues and concerns that I had more to create a lot of doubt in policymakers' minds over continuing these mandates. Um, we didn't get a response at that point from the college, but what ended up happening was I, I sent the same letter to a number of uh, fraternity brothers of mine from my class, and Christopher Dreisbach, he responded, and when we spoke, he informed me, I hadn't spoken to him in 20, 25 years, he informed me he had also been injured. Uh, by the Pfizer vaccine, and he became a real advocate um, for vaccine, COVID vaccine injured. Not only that, what he really uh, liked about a portion of the letter was the idea that Dartmouth College would host a roundtable and have a more public open discussion where we could all better understand the, the arguments for, for mandates or against them. And it was at that point where we decided we would take this conversation to the school, invite them to participate with us. And, um, and you know, through that effort, very quickly, we realized we really need to have more of an on-the-ground understanding of the college mandate scene. You know, I had seen Joni and, and her work through her Twitter, and, and she was clearly a fierce advocate against these mandates. And we were lucky and fortunate to reach out to her, and, and she's been an incredible resource and, and help in organizing this, this event that's coming up next Wednesday. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Right. The 26th of April, which we're going to tell people how they can live stream it. Well, I'm curious to go back to when you did have what you said was some some dialogue, some back and forth with the university to, and you understood what it was they were trying to achieve. What did they tell you they were trying to achieve? What did, if anything, um, sensible come from them? I, they were focused on the fact that the, they felt the vaccines could still reduce community spread and help keep people out of the hospital. And so it was, it was I think that was part of it. They also reinforced the fact that they could provide religious or medical exemptions. And I think they felt that that, you know, collectively was a way for students to opt out. Of course, I argued they shouldn't have to go through the effort. Um, and yeah. I don't recall if I made this point, but certainly in my own personal experience and seeing others, getting those exemptions is incredibly difficult, if not impossible. So to, to pretend like there was this out didn't actually, it wasn't it wasn't really truthful. And, and may I jump in at that yes. point and just say that um, to get a medical exemption was near impossible for most kids, even if they 
had really legitimate concerns. But the religious exemption, many, many people don't realize that those are um, open and available to them. And if they don't feel like they're a religious person, you're really putting them into a bind because they don't want to do something that's disingenuous and against their principles, but they're forced to make a choice. They either can, to, can say, can say, state something that's maybe not true or get a shot they don't want that, again, provides no community benefit is, and is not needed. Um, and one other thing I wanted to say in, in terms of what this college would say is their their goals and their premises, it was to keep the community safe, but they could never demonstrate that they had done any risk benefit analysis to show that of their own. In fact, they would always defer to CDC talking points. And as yeah. those talking points, and then they would double down if you questioned it. So the idea of a roundtable to have them at the table and to transparently talk about the risk benefit analysis they did to practice medicine on these students it's just a brilliant idea if the colleges would only participate directly in that. But nobody has had success having that happen. So in other words, well, we'll do this. We'll take a quick break and come back and discuss who will be at this roundtable and who won't be at this roundtable right after this. I'm always flattered when people ask me about my skincare regimen. It means I might be doing something right. Well, the people who are doing something right are Genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, Genucel Skincare, an amazing antioxidant-based skincare company manufactured right here in the United States. And I use all of their products. It's formulated by a pharmacist with quality ingredients. It diminishes fine lines and wrinkles and prevents new ones from forming. And I think that my favorite is the deep firming serum with stem cell technology. There's a few drops on clean skin and your skin all of a sudden just looks and feels more radiant, uh, almost dewy. It's incredible. And right now you can save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package. And this is just in time for the warm spring months that are coming, featuring Genucel's Ultra Retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative. It's safe to use on your skin in the summer sun. And then also Genucel's Dark Spot Corrector to reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots from long summer days outside. Plus, you'll still get Genucel's classic under-eye bags therapy for those annoying under-eye bags and puffiness. And with its immediate effects, you will see results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. So you've got nothing to lose. Don't wait. Visit genucel.com slash Michelle. Again, it's G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Michelle to save over 70% off the most po popular package. Plus every order subscription includes a luxury gift box with two free springtime essentials. That's two free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. Go to genucel.com slash Michelle. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Michelle with one L M I C H E L E go save 70%. What are you waiting for? Well, it's interesting to have a round table at a university and invite university representatives if they're willing to participate as, as we've talked about, um, Michael, are they participating? Is Dartmouth college sending anyone to this round table? No, we, we extended several invitations for them to put up at least three panelists. And no, they have not responded to provide representation. Not responded at all? Or just have they just ignored it? Or We got a response from President Hanlon that he would not be able to attend. Uh, but it was not specifically 
um, confirming that they would not submit representation. And last week, I believe it was on April 11th, they formally removed their mandate and now strongly suggest students stay up to, you know, on their boosters and, and CDC recommendations. So they seem to be walking so, it back now. Yeah, I was going to say, do you feel, Michael, that some of the, that that rescinding of the mandate was at least influence, influenced in part by your efforts? Well, I think there are a lot of people that are fighting this fight. Um, and so I'd like to feel that, yes, we had something to do with it. But uh, as I've said before, privately to Joni and, and Christopher, you know, I feel like we're climbing the backs of a lot of people that came ahead of us. And you know, part of that were number of doctors that you've had on your show talking about these issues now going back several years. So, you know, what's unfortunate about the fact that this is now only happening in, you know, April 2023 is these are conversations that should have had, we should have had a long time ago. So it's it's great to see that it's happening um, and that we've sort of forced the issue. But it's very late in the game, in our opinion. And, and it's it's unfortunate that these are have gone on as long as they have, and they remain in, I think it's still about 400 colleges and universities across the country. Is that right? I, I was wondering about what that number looked like these days. And I know, Joni, I'm sure I, I, I would be right there with you. I would not feel good about sending my kid, either one of my children, to a university that's going to mandate they have to have a shot. Um, and, and just a quick aside here, there is a a K through eight, I think, school in, in New York, kind of upstate New York, that still requires its children to wear masks outside when they're playing at recess. So I don't understand how how this the effects are taking so long to be felt in other parts of the country. Jo Joni, what's, what's your perspective on that? Why is this, is the, the, I guess fear is a word. Well, I think there was a great campaign at the beginning. People were very afraid and um, legitimately so. We didn't know what was this thing was about. Right. Um, but I think that when people are afraid, they lose their sense. Some many people lose their sense of rational thought, right? And mm -hmm. yes. and then it makes them more likely to just take the party line as being absolutely right and necessary. Plus, there was a lot of social pressure that you didn't want to kill grandma or yeah. the professor down the hall. So I think that has been locked into place and what has been normalized now, which is unfortunate, is being taking directives based on public health information that has been flawed from the beginning, has been demonstrated to be flawed, and yet we still continue to, to look to it. And that is why I wanted to make the point that this conversation, even though mandates have been dropping, and even though um, this week, I think yesterday, the day before, the FDA retired the primary series, right? So that's not available anymore. They're right. not going to give that <laughs> anymore. And so now we have the bivalent in its place. And so we've normalized this kind of mandate. And what is going to happen at many colleges right now is they will start mandating the bivalent booster, yeah. which has no human data in this age group. So that's something that we need to keep talking about this and keep that going Ab and to continue to chip away at Absolutely. people's reasoning. We cannot just accept that the, the word normalization is so important. And you used it that, that they're normalizing these things that we really 
we don't have good evidence for. And yeah, this, this new once a year shot, like the flu shot, they're going to just make it seem like the flu shot, you know, just go ahead and get it. You get the flu shot. Well, the flu shot is optional last time I checked and needs to remain optional by the way. Um, so let's talk about this event because people can get tickets and they can live stream it. And, um, you can find it at react19.org react19.org. And we've had representatives of that group on, on this podcast. We think this is so important. Important conversations never had. College COVID-19 vaccine mandates, scientific, ethical, and legal considerations. And I, I, I it's the, the striking thing about the title is important conversations never had. And as you've both pointed out, here we are in April, 2023. And there, even conversing about different approaches of of treating COVID, different approaches of preventing COVID, you were struck down as though you were some sort of enemy of the state when you'd bring anything like that up. So I'm so thrilled that you guys are doing this. There will be a roundtable discussion. And again, we need to point out that Dartmouth College will not have representatives there, but you guys will. And um, I, I love this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. now part of uh, of the of the whole presentation of the day. That that's a is that a recent ad, Michael? Yes, it is. Um, and we're very excited, obviously, to have him. You know, I've I've read his book. I've sort of viewed him as um, having laid out the the blueprint of of really what's been going on and. Um, to have him be able to talk to this crowd about this important topic, I think it's it's really critical. So yes, we're very excited. He'll speak for about half an hour after the roundtable, and then later in the evening we'll have a um, a an event, both a, a cocktail hour and dinner event, where all the proceeds will go to React 19, which is a nonprofit a political organization that is uh, working on the behalf of COVID-19 vaccine injured. So we're very excited about the whole, the whole day. You know, one thing I, I apologize, I do want to go back to is, you know, you, you asked how, how did we get to this point? And, and I don't think we've directly talked about the extreme censorship that's been allowed to, yes. to be, you know, go on in this country and around the world. Um, and the, the tremendous conflicts of interest that we've had and we're, we're seeing more and more of, whether it be uh, between, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and the media, um, po- politicians, universities. And so there is a very good reason why even to this day, these conversations have never been had. And that's really the goal of this event. It's not to say these are the right people, you have to listen to them. Um, and it's more about these are people that spoke up, but you couldn't hear them because you weren't allowed to. And we're, <laughs> we're looking to give them a voice so that people can make a more informed decision and have other opinions and data that they can evaluate and then make their own decisions about whether or not they want to take these vaccinations or not. And that's really the point of this is to try to help have inform, true informed consent. Um, because without that, we've got a much bigger problem in this country. Informed consent. It shouldn't be that difficult. So some of the panelists include uh, Martin Kuldorf, a PhD professor on leave of Harvard Med- uh, Medical School, 
uh, one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which was treated as though it was um, almost written by Hitler. It was just, I, I hate to bring in Hitler, but I mean, it, th that Great Barrington Declaration, I, it was just shut down. And you talk about the censorship and, and these people were vilified, absolutely vilified. Um, I guess, Joni, why? It, again, was the, it, why was there no, I mean, I have my own theory about this. I think it was because the president we had in office, no one wanted to give any credence to anyone but Dr. Fauci. For In other words, if we got to choose between Trump and Fauci, we're going to put Fauci on the pedestal, crush Trump, and no matter how you feel about Trump, I think this was what was going on. And so anything counter to what Fauci said would be almost um, sacrilege. I, I don't know. How do you see it? Well, I think that was probably a great part of it um, for people who saw an opportunity there politically. But I think that it, it goes, the rock goes deeper than that as well, because you have to follow the money and the, mm. the very, very big interests that were standing to benefit so greatly from this. I mean, they had been jumping to get an mRNA shot normalized and, and accepted by the public um, because this platform, and it, that's a much longer story, is is a very desirable platform for the pharmaceutical industry. And so once they had decided that the vaccine was going to be the thing, they had to really make sure that there wouldn't be a discussion that showed that there were really other ways to approach this because yeah. um, that that train was rolling. So I think that in that way, they needed to shut down and smear any legitimate um, discussion that would point to alternative ways to deal with COVID that wasn't the vaccine. And may I point out that they needed an EUA, an emergency use authorization for this product. And if there had been viable alternatives for that, that would have been much, much harder to get granted. Right. Um, and, and Moderna was in partnership with the NIH. Pfizer has been a big player. Um, many people have made a great sum of money from this. So I, I think we can't discount that. You know what's sad about this? The corruption really is what, what we're talking about here, that money was driving some of these major decisions. And I think we're all in America very often... No, that couldn't. We, we're in such denial. That couldn't possibly. The National Institutes for Health? No, the CDC? No, they couldn't possibly do this for money. I mean, these are people with, you know, degrees and they research and this. They're interested right. in science and follow the science. And we were all told, follow the science. We couldn't possibly be lied to about this for, for financial reasons. And yet, whew, well, it, well, it's a hard I lesson to learn. Well, you know, Moderna just paid the NIH $400 million. Um, and, and that wasn't, that's not all they've gotten. So yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, 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 I'm left a little bit speechless, which is, doesn't often happen, but this whole episode has been so frustrating. Brooke Jackson will also be there. She's been on, uh, on sideline sanity. She was a whistleblower of the Pfizer clinical trial. What a story she tells. It's a great panel. I only covered a couple of names there, but I'm so thrilled you are doing this. And Kim Witzak will be, uh, will be the moderator. She is, has been on this show, um, and is a great advocate. Just, she, she is a, a big time whistleblower and questioner of all things pharmaceutical and is standing by the sides of people who have been injured by this vaccine. And we can't ignore that. And that's, 
you know, some people think, oh, these are just coincidences. This, you know, um, we need to have, these are why the important conversations that were never had need to finally be had. And they're happening next Wednesday, April 26th, uh, right in the neighborhood. We don't want to say on the campus of Dartmouth. I'm not, we're not allowed to say that, right? At the doorstep. Uh, so it's at the Hanover at the Inn, <laughs> which is college owned, and it's right at the south side of the, the main college green. So you couldn't get a more okay. prominent location for an event like this. Uh, I, congratulations on all of it. We're going to be so interested to hear how it goes. And again, uh, you'll see graphically here. And if you're just listening to us, uh, note this. You can get tickets and more information at react19.org. React19.org. Um, this is, and we're going to post this on all our social platforms as well, uh, that, that people who are not in New Hampshire can have access to this really important roundtable discussion and listen in. Um, it's, I congratulate you both on sticking to this and following through and doing the legwork that so many people aren't willing to do or don't have the time to do. I'm just always so grateful for the people who, who make the effort and make things like this happen and congratulate you both. So thank you so much for being with us and we're going to promote the heck out of this. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Yeah, we, we never could have gotten this far without help from people like yourselves. And I will say, while it has been a very Herculean effort to get this up and running, the, the outpouring of interest from the panelists, from other supporters that have helped us get along, it's been incredible to see. And it's clear that this event really needed to take place. It. Absolutely. And I just, <laughs> I want to point out, if you go to uh, MCOS126, at MCOS126 on Twitter, um, we are calling on Dartmouth College policymakers to rescind its COVID-19 vaccination policy in its entirety, immediately pending further investigation. They have done that, but you've posted the open letter. And um, one of the respondents said, Thank you, Michael. As an 06 alum, I won't give another dime or support the college in any way, shape, or form. It's become one of the most intolerant leftist authoritarian places imaginable. I used to be proud to admit I went there. No more. I'm embarrassed to say it now. Just one person, but I wanted to amplify that a little bit because uh, we do see these extreme left turns in, in on colleges and universities that uh, many of us are disappointed by, and and this. Uh, Sebastian well, many of us, too. including myself, love the college, but we don't love all their policies. And so that's what this has that, really been about. Well said. Well said. I don't I don't want to make it sound like they're just only enemies of the state right now. You've <laughs> certainly got supporters. And obviously, Joni, you're you still have a student there or my son graduates in June, he graduates in June. Yeah. Congratulations so. on that as well. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Both of you, again, Herculean effort, as you said, but you made it happen. All the best to you. Congratulations, folks. For those of you who follow us on social, you'll see uh, how you can access this, this really important discussion. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. Don't forget, like these two individuals, be brave and do good as they have.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.